Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. I want to begin with a Sunday confessional. I put up a fight when coming to this text this week. In case you ever wonder if the minister looks at a passage and says, you've got to be kidding me. Yes, yes, we sure do. And normally we would have someone at this moment read our scripture for us, but I, I'd like to parse through it together today because the story we're going to hear has layers like an onion. So some of you might not know that the United Church follows what we call the Common Lectionary. It's a three-year cycle of texts that take us through the overarching narrative of the Bible. This is why we tend to hear the same stories over and over again. And it's why passages like the one Keith preached on last week that wasn't in the lectionary, it's why those sometimes come out of the blue and we think to ourselves, why haven't I heard this before? The lectionary is a very small sampling of this ancient book, but it gets us through that narrative arc without us having to assign reading homework every night, so you're welcome. It also enables us preachers to avoid some of the more challenging or out there biblical texts, which is not necessarily a good thing, but honestly, I am grateful I will never be forced to preach on Jesus and the demon pigs. Tens of thousands of churches around the world use the same readings each week for their congregations. We don't have to, we don't always, but when we do, we can be assured that we are in good company. And so when I'm discerning what message to preach, I always check the lectionary. And today, today is what we call Transfiguration Sunday. It is a mountaintop Sunday, a Sunday where we recognize Jesus in all his glory and try to take that glory back down the mountain with us. I tried to avoid it, like I said. The Transfiguration is one of those texts that challenges me as a preacher. The mountaintop moments of other people rarely make sense to those who hear about them after the fact. But the longer I sat with it, the more I realized that if I was arguing the necessity of the Word of God in my life, I probably actually needed to just double down. What's that saying? If you don't have time to meditate for five minutes, you probably need to meditate for 10. Well, maybe if I didn't have the ears for Scripture, it was a sign that I needed to silence some other things. So that's what I did, and I know that I am in good company this Sunday morning. Friends, this week I read The Transfiguration unlike I've ever read it before. And I pray that this passage shines light on something in your life that you feel you can't control right now. I pray that by the end of this 18 minutes, you see a new way forward. So let's say that prayer together. Holy One, we ask you to illuminate this text for us in a way that reaches us all the way. Let us not get bogged down by language or assumptions or all of those unknowns, but let us see this anew. May all that we uncover be acceptable to you. Amen. I want to talk with you today about the terms of transfiguration. 
because this moment, these mountaintop moments are not exclusive to some. They are not only accessible to the few. They are not reserved for the ones who've passed contemplative 101 and who are moving on to contemplative intermediate. And they are not set aside for those who like to hike or free climb El Capitan. They are set aside for you and for me. There is a way for you to see God like never before. There is a way for you, like Keith said last week, to see the Christ in a person who challenges you. There is a way for you to transfigure the circumstances of your life so that you find freedom in them, despite how suffocating they might feel. There is a way to encourage your own transfiguration. However, it's important that you hear what I'm saying. There might be areas in your life that are crying out for transfiguration. The tension in a relationship, the struggling work-life balance, an illness, a depression. There are circumstances in the world that are crying out for transfiguration. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine that has escalated to the point of no return the ongoing protests in Ottawa, the distrust in the streets as we learn how to live in body with one another again. And transfiguration is possible in all of those places, but transfigure is not the same word as transform. When something transfigures, the essence of it remains the same. It's how we see it that changes. The Don Wall didn't move for Tommy Caldwell. Tommy saw it differently than others did. Jesus can do all things, but he cannot make your neighbor pull their mask up over their nose. He cannot unsend a missile. We need to change what we see. We need to get familiar with the terms of transfiguration so that in the midst of everything we're experiencing, we still have the confidence to proclaim we are a kingdom people, a people living into a vision of flourishing life for all, not turn our eye away from, but orient it towards something different. So today we are here to take some responsibility for the changes we want to see around us. We are going to climb the mountain. So I hope you brought your sneakers. I didn't. (laughs) Our reading says, now about eight days after these sayings. So Jesus has just finished telling the disciples that whoever wishes to follow him would have to lose their life. Jesus drops that, that new and hard truth. And now look at what he does. About eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly the disciples saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. 
at a time when Jesus' attention was being demanded by the masses, when Herod himself was demanding a private audience with him, when the disciples were struggling with what all of these strange teachings meant, when 5,000 people saw him perform a miracle with a few fish and loaves at a key moment in Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus stop what he's doing and go up the mountain with some friends to pray. The first term of transfiguration is this. It matters what you give your time to. We see Jesus in the midst of all of this make time for his closest friends. If we hope to witness the transfiguration, if we hope to be transfigured, we need to make time for who and what will help us get there. Jesus did not free solo up the mountain, no offense to Alex Honnold, and you can Google that jab later. Our scripture says he took with him Peter and James and John. Jesus asks the first three people who ever followed him as a teacher, the first three to call him Messiah, the first three to understand what sacrifices were being asked of them. He brings those three people up the mountain with him, the people who know him, who see him, who have promised to walk with him all the way. Some of us are trying to climb the mountain on our own, trying to convince ourselves that it is easier, it is safer to shut people out than to let them in. Some of us are removing people from our lives at a faster rate than we are adding them. Some of us are climbing the mountain alone and wondering why no one sees us as we are. People misunderstand us. People don't get it. They can't see how much I've changed. When you climb the mountain alone, I think it might be harder to access transfiguration. It's the proverbial tree falling in the forest with no one around to hear it. We need to be seen in order to transfigure. And some of us have really let this go. The walls we've built, the texts we've left unanswered, the I'm fines, they all diminish our relationships. So I tell you again, it matters what you give your time to. We also see Jesus make time for prayer. When Jesus and Peter, James, and John reached the top of the mountain, the passage says Jesus prayed, and as he prayed, his clothes became dazzling white. I want you to think for a moment about the last time you climbed a mountain, literally or metaphorically. Mine is definitely metaphorical. When was it that you prayed? Was it when you got to the top? Thank you, God. I humble myself before you. I am filled with gratitude. Or was it when you were at the bottom, working your way up? God, you better help me put one foot in front of the other because this looks like it is going to be a journey. Do you spend your prayers asking? Or do you spend your prayers in praise and celebration for what is? When they reach the top of the mountain, they bask in the light of God. What do your prayers look like amidst the struggle? Is gratitude a practice? Could it be? It matters what we give our time to. And we see Jesus 
give his time to those who have gone before. We see Jesus respect and consult the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah appear and Jesus spends time in conversation with them, discerning the next steps of his ministry. Who are we learning from? Who are we turning to for wisdom? Are we letting the past dictate our current reality? Or are we in conversation with it so that today holds something new and informed? It matters what we give our time to. Who are you letting in? How much space are you making for God? Where is your wisdom coming from? Take a look at what you're giving your time to and ask yourself if it looks like a life of flourishing. Who's in it? What are you doing? Who are you letting inspire you? If you want to transfigure, if you want to see and be seen differently, it matters what you give your time to. Go corporate on it. Track it for a week. My spreadsheet people will be all over this. If you want things to look different, look at where you're spending your time. Our passage continues. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. The second term of transfiguration is that it matters how well we are paying attention. Did you catch what it said in the text? It is on the brink of exhaustion that the disciples see something incredible. These are not bright-eyed and bushy-tailed disciples. These are Monday morning disciples. These are 3 p.m. Friday disciples. These are pitch 15 on the dawn wall disciples. These are two years into a pandemic disciples. The circumstances of transfiguration are not that everything is just right. In fact, it is the opposite. A glory glow up, if you will, requires that there is little to be desired in the current state. Run ragged is part of the equation. Weary is part of the equation. Being tired as I am tired, as I know you are tired, that is part of the transfiguration. We don't go from good to great. We start where we are and we get grace upon grace. That's the point. The challenge is for us to be alert, to look for the signs of that grace despite our circumstances, because it is in seeing the grace we're being given that we can see it being given to everyone else. It matters how well we are paying attention. And it's so important that we keep our sights set on that flourishing that we are working towards because it is easy for us to get lost in old ways of thinking. This is my favorite part of the passage. We hear Peter say to Jesus, it is so good we are here. Let us build three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Moses and Elijah, the two ghosts. I wonder 
How many of us are currently trying to set up tents for our ghosts? Someone came into your life and left it recklessly. That's our modern definition of ghost. And you are still leaving the porch light on. The church you grew up in has been completely shaken up over the past two years and you're holding out hope it will be the exact same when you return. A relationship that once had common ground has been severed for whatever reason and you're holding out hope that one day it'll all be water under the bridge and they'll come around. The pre-pandemic person you were doesn't exist anymore but you're holding on to her Levi's for dear life instead of just buying a pair that fits again. The landscape of our lives right now is a ghost tent city and we are missing the glory of the mountaintop right in front of us. We do not need to memorialize the parts of our lives that we are being called to change. It is time to let go. Staying awake to the new world is our calling. So what do you want to see in that world? And if you shift your vision just a little bit, can you? It matters how well you are paying attention. Then our scripture says a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And from the cloud, a voice came and said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one of any of the things they had seen. The third term, the last term, don't worry, of the transfiguration is this. It matters that you keep going. The disciples are tired. They are getting things wrong. They are confused. And in the midst of all of that, a cloud comes and overshadows them. I know that over the past couple of years, life has not stopped happening to you just because we are in a pandemic. Yes, we are dealing with COVID, but we also have war and famine and cancer and accidents and arguments and affairs. The pandemic began and clouds still descended, are still descending. And the disciples, it says, were terrified as they entered the cloud. This is where I make an apology. There is no invitation here to let fear get the best of you. They were terrified as they entered the cloud. There is grace in the get-go, but you gotta go. Transfiguration doesn't happen when we ask for it. It happens when we are responsive to it. What we do in the face of the transfigured changes everything. The disciples entered the cloud as they were terrified. If you don't push through, you won't break through. This is the grunt work. This is the labor. This is the birthing of a new thing. This is history, her story, their story. It matters that you keep going. 
And God meets the disciples in that cloud and says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others as you wish to be treated. No judgment. All the words of Jesus are weighing on us right now as our society is torn apart by differences. And this phrase, listen to him. Is this the reward we seem to be given at the top of the mountain, at the end of this transfiguration journey? Because it makes me want to do the exact opposite. Listen to him. It is too hard. What does it mean? How do we do it? He never explained it that well. What's the reward? We are called to listen before anything else. Before we are invited to head back down the mountain, before we are invited into conversations, before we're invited into the streets, into the op-ed sections of newspapers, into the houses of those we don't get along with, before we leave the mountaintop, we are asked to listen. I wonder how much of our exhaustion is coming from the fights we're putting up. Instead of listening to the word, we're reacting to the world around us. We're not responding in a way that says we've listened. At least I am not always. If we listen, maybe we are reminded that the transfiguration, the mountaintop moment, the moment of seeing things differently, we realize it's not the final solution. I'll give you an example. This past week, I came into the office to see a suspicious-looking lump of clothing on one of our upstairs couches, just up here in the loft. And as I walked closer, I could hear the pile of clothing rustling. And I recognized it when I got a little closer as a person. It turns out this gentleman had been frostbitten and slumped up against our church door when Anne came into the office in the morning and she had invited him in to warm him up. And hours later, when Anne and Sarah were unable to rouse him, they called the paramedics to his aid. And through a series of caring touches, they were able to assess this man's pain and create a caring plan of action for his safety. This is someone who many people would have walked by, potentially even intentionally avoided. And yet in this circumstance, he hadn't changed, but he had been seen. That small moment of seeing something differently than the rest of the world, that's the transfiguration when our eyes reveal Christ to us in one another, in the circumstances around us, it is the stepping stone that enables us to find our way back down the mountain. Of course, we can't stay up here. I love that scene in the clip we showed you. Let's call the whole thing off and just stay here another day on the mountain. But the transfiguration is a starting place, not the ending place. 
So we ask ourselves, what are we giving our time to? How well are we paying attention? And are we willing to keep going? The terms of the transfiguration require us to see things differently. And in doing so, we're equipped to take one more, just one more step towards the real transformation needed to make this place one where peace and love and justice reign. We cannot stay on the mountain. Love is way too amazing for that. So I invite you to lace them up, whatever you got on, and let's go. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.